1: I wish I could give you better news, but I think you know the truth. And that is that we are now some 300 delegates behind Vice President Biden, and the path toward victory is virtually impossible.
0: This Ben Jaromsky Show, Benny J. Bonus Interview, is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor.
1: Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Friday, July 10th, 2020. The headlines in the Chicago Tribune, just to give you a sense of what the world is like. <clears throat> uh, let me read this headline. Trump cannot block release of his tax records. Justices reject broad... Immunity Assertions by President's Team. What the headline doesn't tell you is that they managed to protect Donnie Trump enough with their cockamamie ruling so he doesn't have to release the taxes until long after November's election. All right, I always have to say that because so many of my liberal friends are, Ben, what about the Supreme Court? Ben, what a wonderful Supreme Court. Anyway, we're not going to be talking about that, D. No, no, no. There's a reason Dennis uh, played that Bernie snippet at the front of the show because the guest today is a huge, well, you know what? I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I'm going to allow my distinguished guest to introduce himself, as I do with all distinguished guests on Bonus Interviews. So, distinguished guest, introduce yourself.
2: My name is Micah Utrecht. Hopefully my voice and name are familiar to some of your listeners. um, I don't know if I'm the biggest Bernie bro, but I I feel like top ten, right? I'm up there. (laughs) On this show? Yeah, on this show, my number one, I don't know.
1: (laughs) Wait, Hold on, let me think. That's a great question. Well, you did write a book. Yeah, you wrote a book. I did write a book. I would say on our show, it's three huge Bernie bros. You, Miles, and Robert Peters. And
2: I think. All right, that's good company right
1: there. and, And you know what? A very silent one who doesn't let people onto this. And I'm not making this up. This is not a joke. Young Dennis, the producer of this show, loves, Micah, loves Bernie Sanders. He was my guy. Look for my book to come out in (laughs) two weeks. It's way bigger than Bernie, I call it. Uh, So, Micah, before we um, take... All right, let me just amend. I, I already said this on the regular show. I'm promoting this. So, last night, I was enjoying a delicious... I think it was bourbon or something. I was drinking. Yeah. I was just chilling out, and my phone went beep, 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 and it was a text from Dennis with a Facebook posting that Micah had uh, issued regarding something that happened with Micah and Lori Lightfoot and I immediately called Micah to get uh, him, book him for the show so he could talk about it. Because it's kind of an interesting revelation about the mayor and how she handles criticism. And
2: this Listen, that, that's no joke. It was like 11 p.m. You were, <laughs> you were instantly on the horn. I figured you'd be sleeping at that time. Oh, no, you don't know me,
1: man. I'm a late night guy. I'm like late night. It's four in the morning. I'm still up, baby. I don't smoke cigarettes, but it's like it in the four in the morning hour. Anyway, so I said, Micah, first of all, yeah, is it okay to call you? Because I thought you would be asleep. And he said, yeah. (laughs) So I called him. We cut the deal. So we're going to talk about that. But before we do, uh, tell folks about your book. Tell folks about any projects you got going on. Just promote a few things uh, in the world of writing
2: for Micah. Well, I'm the deputy editor of a magazine called Jacobin jacobinmag.com, and we're publishing uh, something like 50 articles a week at this point, so people have plenty uh, to read on our website. Uh, I wrote a book with uh, my coworker, Megan Day, called Bigger Than Bernie, How how We Go From the Sanders Campaign to Democratic Socialism, Uh, and it's going to be a paperback version coming out in uh, February 2021, actually. And I uh, got some other uh, projects uh, in, the, in, the, in the hopper, thinking of writing a book on the uh, impact of uh, McCarthyism in the United States and how it's still with us today. That's my, my next thing. So that'll be a long time before that happens. But always got, you know, as I said, six, seven new articles a day at Jacobin. Plan to check out there. So, again, uh, jacobinmag.com. All right. Uh, very good, Mike. Uh, bigger than Bernie. Absolutely.
1: Uh, by the way, <clears throat> before we move on, I don't know if you know this. I think I may have told you this last night because I was under in- the influence of that bourbon. Uh, young Dennis does a great imitation of you. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea.
2: No, you I'd just, like to hear it.
0: You just have a booming voice. In fact, I told the listeners uh, when they get ready to listen to this turn that bass down a little bit. <laughs> don't with the speakers. Develop. It's just a noise. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> hey, hey, trigger the burning.
2: What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> You know, one time I was at uh, what was it, the village discount outlet, the thrift store in Bridgeport on uh, Halstead. Yeah. And I was checking out and uh, the, the the cashier asked me, you know, do you do you want a bag or whatever? I don't even remember what she asked? She said, Do you want a bag? And I was like, Oh no, I'm good. I got my bag here And she just said she just stopped and she's like, Oh <laughs> that voice See? I was like, Oh whoa And she goes, That voice just makes me want to think you want to leave my husband I was like, wow we're, we're moving Jeez. real quick here <laughs> there is a all other- i had to say was no thanks no thanks i don't need a bag and we're my home record uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> by the way do you have an imitation of dennis that you let's do? hear it. yeah let's hear your dennis okay. imitation.
2: well you know i i'm a very cheap guy i'm from the midwest you know i got that Midwestern cheapness <laughs> Uh, and so I don't have, uh, Spotify to listen to music. So I listen to all my music on YouTube, which Me too. means that I get all of these ads on YouTube. And then, you know, pretty regularly, a couple of times a week, I, I, all of a sudden, instead of, you know, I don't know what an ad for the, the children's hospital about a four year old with cancer or, you know, some new manly soap that I need to be buying. I get an ad, uh, <laughs> with a very familiar voice, uh, that is, you know, and it's always something like, uh, you know. Johnson and Johnson brothers have the best awnings in the Chicagoland area. That's you can't good find one. a b- better awning for this price. It's like a heating and cooling. Like, it's,
0: Dennis. it's Dennis. Heating and cooling, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, I, I actually heard it uh, recently. I'm like, I remember you said that. I'm like, whoa, really? And then I heard it. I'm like, those <laughs> bastards. I haven't seen any money. <laughs>
1: That was my radio days, I guess. Roses well, is radio. Uh, Doctor radio. Dr. Doctor, uh, doctor and Johnson Awnings. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's and
0: since we're one. doing impressions, uh, I found out a few weeks ago I could do Jay-Z. You want to hear my Jay-Z? Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, this that's is fun. really good. Uh, okay. All right.
0: So uh, I felt like in New York, uh, in, uh, I used to be an operator, and uh, I would talk to people in New York, and instead of the letter R, people in New York say ARA. And uh, so yeah. here, here's Jay-Z. All right? I've, hopefully I don't <laughs> butcher it. <clears throat> here we go.
1: Uh, Arav,ova, <laughs> <over>, Micah.
2: It's <laughs> my Jay-Z. All right,
1: ladies and gentlemen.
2: And I, I was worried about where that was going to yeah. go. I think that's. I think we're safe there. And, oh, yeah. and oh no. uh, His
1: his imitation of Micah really quickly goes into his Alex. I
2: didn't Mike. hear it yet. I got to hear it.
1: Oh, you didn't hear? Do do Micah, then do it, Alex Jones, and then we'll get down to business. All right, all right. Here we go. So what? Well, you
0: no, know, my impression of Micah is because hey, 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 <laughs> it's a booming oh, okay. voice. <laughs>
1: Now, here's Alex Jones. Oh, and
0: then Alex Jones. uh, All right. uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we have the documents. The globalists are taking over. The globalists are taking over. There's fluoride in the water. We'll be right
1: back. that's pretty good. Uh, That is good. But do you notice how one kind of... All right, right, okay. I got three imitations that I do all the time, so who am I to say? All right, Michael, let's get down to business. Uh, So this is a a very interesting uh, story. As I said, it reveals... A little bit about our mayor uh, and how she responds to criticism, but it also reveals a lot about Micah and how he uh, goes about his uh, daily uh, travels. Uh, And it also gets into a larger issue of policing in the city of Chicago. Uh, And uh, so with that as the setup, I'm going to have you take it away and tell the story from A to Z. Go ahead.
2: So I live in Logan Square and uh, right around the corner from there, Lightfoot, actually. And uh, I, you know, I'm out walking frequently. What else do we have to do during this pandemic? I walk around. And when I walk, I tend to read because I'm trying to multitask. And it was really weird. I get a lot of weird stares from my neighbors. But I, I, I'm trying to do, you know, the exercising and the getting the reading in at the same time. So I Wait, was walking up. around. And ironically, I was reading a yeah, sure. Let me just
1: add, just, uh, you, you mentioned this last time, but I need to know that. So you're capable of walking and reading at the same time. Don't, don't you ever find yourself walking into traffic because you get your head in a book? You're reading a book or you're reading on your phone?
2: Reading a book. No, so, I never walk into traffic. I mean, I, you know, I, I keep my wits about me.
1: <laughs> and and you're able to con- concentrate on the the words? Yeah, yeah.
2: I gotta take notes. I take notes while I'm walking, you know, with a pen and the book and everything. Yeah.
1: Wait, time out. You're taking. I didn't hear this part last night. You're taking notes. You're, you're yeah, little, writing in the book, or do you, are you writing on a separate piece of paper?
2: Writing in the book. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's okay. All right. You're. Listen. I got a lot. I got a big stack of books here. I got to get through. There's no way I'm going to do it if I don't also do it while I'm going for my walk. So I was out reading uh, my book on. Uh, actually on the Mississippi Freedom Summer, a history of the Mississippi Freedom Summer uh, that uh, is very good. Uh, Bruce Watson is the author. And I was walking on the main drag of Logan Square on Milwaukee Avenue when I uh, saw uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, out. Well, I, you know, you see the telltale suburbans, uh, the, the, suburban, the, the, the dark-windowed suburbans. So, um, you know, I am not somebody who is real big on, like, Angrily confronting public figures In public like that's you know just On a purely a personal level I find that Very difficult to do I, I, I don't even like confronting You know my friends and family about Serious issues in my personal life Much less like running up to a politician And like screaming at them like that's just not my thing But I also think that when Politicians are out in public they deserve To hear from the public Especially because they work really hard often To uh, you know isolate themselves From any kinds of criticism or hearing the stuff that's sort of bubbling up from the streets about what they're doing in office. And I was in particular wanting to deliver a message about defunding the police because I had recently read in Politico that Mayor Lightfoot had said that she had not heard from anybody in Chicago's neighborhood about this desire, this this demand to fund the police. They didn't think that that was, she didn't think that was something that the actual Chicagoans actually wanted. Um, And, you know, I read that, I was like, well, I've been to these protests, I've seen tens of thousands of people out in the streets being very clear about uh, their desire to defund the police and move that money from, you know, people from cops swinging uh, batons and, you know, it was SWAT teams and arresting people and putting people into prison uh, and put that money towards social programs that we need, higher, better public education, uh, more affordable housing, uh, mental health services, all the rest of it. So I thought I would just walk by her and very politely, respectfully tell the mayor, that I thought we should defund the police. Uh, so I walked by, and she was sitting outside al fresco with a couple other people. Uh, I think her wife and maybe some others. And I just said, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, we need you to defund the police. Actually, if I if I to, to be you know paint the best picture, the exact voice that I used, Mayor Lightfoot, we need you to we need you to defund the police. That was how I said it. I, I was trying to be extremely respectful. I didn't want to, you know, I do not want to get socked in the face by a security guard or something like that. And she had been standing up from her table at the time when I said it, and she looked at me, and then she like turned away, like very purposefully. She kind of stiffened when I did it, and I just heard her say, "That's not going to happen." And I tried to continue the conversation, but I was intercepted by the by the security guard. And, I, you know, call me naive, I wasn't expecting to get intercepted like that because, again, I wasn't trying to scream at her in the middle of her dinner. She looked like she was wrapping up the dinner anyway. So the, the security guard intercepted me, and, uh, you know, I, I was I didn't want to yell over the security guard, so I decided to call it a day. But she was very curt towards me, uh, which is kind of a hallmark of how she's uh, been in office over the last year. I mean, she doesn't seem to have that kind of, like, politician's instinct to, even when you're confronted with somebody who you disagree with, to try to mollify them somehow because they're your constituent. Uh, She doesn't seem to want to do that. She uh, was just said, yeah, it's not going to happen. And that's why I went about, went about my day, but I, I, you know, this is in keeping with what the mayor, I mean, she is one of the mayors uh, of large cities in the United States. One of the ones who has stood the most steadfast against adopting any of the Demands that have come out of the mass protests that have kicked off since George Floyd's murder by police in Minneapolis. Uh, even someone like uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio, who bills himself as much more of an open progressive uh, than uh, Mayor Lightfoot does, and he was really resisting that demand. But as protests escalated and he saw that it really had a lot of traction among people, uh, he started to change his tune. Other politicians around the country have started to change their tune on that demand a bit, but uh, Mayor Lightfoot uh, has not, whether it's defund the police, whether it's getting the Chicago police out of schools, uh, which is a demand that a lot of black youth groups at the Chicago Teachers Union have put forward. Um, she's even still talking about, according to the Sun Time, uh, not just building that cop academy on the west side, but building a bigger and more expensive version of that cop academy on the west side. Uh, so I, I thought that it was an important thing to say to her uh, just because she has been so recalcitrant in responding to these kinds of racial justice demands that have cropped up in the last months and in the past years in this city. Uh, and doesn't seem like she's uh, budging at all, but at least she can't say now that she hasn't heard from anybody from the Chicago neighborhood that we actually do want to defund the police.
1: Well, that, that last point uh, that you make is one I'd like to go into because One of the reasons why I immediately reached out to you when I read this is because I I, I like have an interest, uh, to put it mildly, in ordinary citizens uh, confronting mayors. And I always say all-powerful mayors. I always feel compelled to put the all-powerful in front of the mayor because in the city of Chicago, that's what we want. Uh, when I say we, I'm not necessarily meaning you or Dennis, but just people in general seem to want an all-powerful mayor, and they give that mayor all this power and authority, and they sit back, uh, relatively, I guess, pleased or indifferent at the very least to what the mayor's up to until some disaster happens, and then it's like they wake up. Uh, but going so going back to to what your your, your story, what Mayor Lightfoot has said publicly on this issue is to your point number one nobody that she wherever she goes she goes all over the city she can't find it doesn't find anybody that says i wanted to fund the police and then when it comes to the schools uh she says we gave the choice of whether there'd be police in schools to local school councils and they universally uh decided among themselves that they wanted the police there. so we, that's why the police are there because the community want them. Well, it's I can go into that one forever. Uh, but to your first point, that first point where she goes around saying uh, that nobody has ever said defund the police to her now she can't say that anymore. Do you think that's a case of saying nobody ever says that where um, she just wants to believe? that people are against it or where she uh, only goes to places where she'll hear people agree with her
2: well i think that's a good question there's kind of two parts to it i mean one to say that requires as I already mentioned, believing that the literally tens of thousands of people who have been out in the streets in these protests over the last couple of months are somehow not like real Chicagoans whose opinions are worth listening to. Uh, you know, despite the fact that this is literally the most incredible, the largest protest movement maybe that the United States has ever seen. And that Chicago, I've been out to some of these protests. Chicago has, you know, had many marches with tens of thousands of people uh, I've, I've been to probably half a dozen. They've been outside her house. I live by her house. I've been very inconvenienced by the fact that they locked down her block because there are always protesters outside of her house over the last couple of weeks. So uh, it, it's like she believes that – I don't think she literally believes that. I think what she means is that the only people whose opinions are worth listening to are people who are not making that case. Uh, and that, that, that means that you don't believe in you know, the, the, the power of, of social movements, the, the legitimacy of social movements. Uh, by the way, there, people said similar things about the uh, civil rights movement in the in the '60s, right? Like this is kind of an old way of talking about how uh, po- po- what social change uh, should look like. The other thing is that I think she maybe in, in, to give her the benefit of the doubt that she has in mind. I don't know uh, working class black folks on the south side who I'm sure if you polled them today uh, would would say that police brutality is an issue, but they would probably also say that they don't think that uh, we should, you know defund the police right now because they would probably associate that with losing a key part of their community safety uh even if they're opposed to police brutality they associate the police with uh with with safety the only kind of modicum of safety uh you know the 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 the, the, the organized part of of the government that will protect them um but to me the, the the role of like political leadership is to Make the case, as these activists in the streets are doing, that no, police actually, I mean, in Chicago, they get almost 40% of the city's budget, right? We're spending, independent of that 40%, over $700 million over the last 15 years in police brutality lawsuits. At the same time that we are cutting mental health services, that there are continued austerity measures towards the public school, that we have an affordable housing crisis, all of these things that we need to actually uh, be safe. Uh, are being defunded, uh, while the police get a larger and larger share of the budget. And obviously, in Chicago in particular, we have a pretty gruesome track record, whether it's John Burge torturing black men for 19 years on the South Side, or uh, Laquan McDonald being shot 16 times by Jason Van Dyke, or uh, pick all of the examples you want, Rakia Boyd being shot by the off-duty officer, Dante Servant. We have this record of police brutality, yet that is happening despite the fact that's happening they're getting more money and the other services are getting uh, defunded and so i think it is a, uh, a a leader's job to kind of make the case to people uh that uh, you know e- that real safety will come uh from increased public services not from giving the cops more and more and more money uh, to keep doing what they've been doing which has not been to keep people
1: safe all right now I'm to, the question i'm about to ask you is going to require you <clears throat> to uh, speculate about uh, what Lori Lightfoot uh, uh, thinks. So it's I, said, I started off by saying this is going to require speculation. But I'm going to analyze her answer to you. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Uh, and so when she says that, do you think it's not going to happen because even though she would want it to happen, she could never convince the city council to make it happen? Or do you think it's a question of, uh, she, her, her telling you, I don't agree with that. As long as I'm mayor, I'll make sure it doesn't happen. So which do you think it is?
2: I think it's the latter. I think that she she ran as a reformer. She tried to don this uh, this title of progressive, right? Whatever that means, it's kind of a nebulous term. But uh, she, she likes people to think that she's a progressive at least. Uh, but clearly she is not someone who has any kind of sympathy or takes any direction from social movements. I mean, just look at her interactions with the Chicago Teachers Union, right? She is not a fan of the Chicago Teachers Union, as we uh, learned last year during the strike uh, and, and knew already before that. I mean, she, she is somebody who comes from the world of being like a high-powered corporate lawyer. She's a wealthy person. She doesn't uh, see social movements as being people who – she particularly needs to listen to. That's not a constituency that she values. Uh, So, yeah, I don't think that she is getting any kind of uh, 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 orientation from those social movements. And she knows that in order to listen to those social movements, to to your first point, uh, you have to take risks. You have to expend political capital. You have to uh, go up against powerful constituencies, Uh, you know, and for example, in this city, uh, the police union. Uh, and she is not willing to do that at all. Uh, she isn't willing to take what protesters have to say seriously, again, despite the fact that it is the largest social movement that the United States has ever seen in its entire history. Uh, and and I think this, that's her fundamental orientation. She is much more comfortable in the kind of uh, high-powered elite realms uh, that she has spent mm-hmm. most, most of her professional life in of which being mayor is the kind of culmination of uh so yeah it, she, she she's not one to uh, pay much attention to what people like me and people like the protesters outside of her house really have to say. all
1: right now let's d- get into the issue of how widespread uh support is for what the protesters uh are calling for and what you were calling for in terms of defund the police so i'm going to try to put myself into the minds of a strategist for Lori Lightfoot, and then get your response to this. Okay, I'm gonna do my best. Hold on, it's gonna require a <clears throat> little role playing here. I drink of water.
2: Okay, here we go. <clears throat> it's getting into the role. There. I'm getting into the role. <laughs> the acting technique. Okay, <laughs>
1: I'm getting into the role. Okay, so the polls that I've seen presented in the newspaper show that Lori Lightfoot is supported by approximately seventy-five percent of the people the voters in the city of Chicago I think that was her the favorability rating she had for the performance Uh, As mayor, I think 75%. Let's say I'm exaggerating, it's actually 70%. So, oh, here you go, 70%. I happen to know that on the north side of Chicago, where I live, it must be, I think, a conservative estimate, 133%. (laughs) I I joke that uh, I have to wear a disguise when I go out of my house, if I say anything mildly critical of Lori Life, because they love her so much, they start throwing things at me. But she uh, seems to be very popular throughout the city of Chicago and so it's easy to say if a equals b and b equals c then a equals i oh, i'm going back to my geometry days so if they like the job i've done with mayor and uh, i have not said defund the police therefore most people in chicago don't want the police to fund it so therefore that would be tying myself to a proposition that most people would be against and even though there's a group of, of people in the streets of chicago advocating for it and even though a lefty like michael wants it. They are relatively, what, a smaller portion of the city of Chicago. So I am not going to fix my wagon to them. I'm going to go in a different direction. What's your response to that?
2: Yeah, that's the kind of thinking that has pulled the entire Democratic Party rightward. Uh, over the last several decades in the kind of neoliberal centrist direction. I mean, that, that, is a, that is certainly a way to do a political calculus, but it is also a road to not doing what is morally correct in the world. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I've seen those same polls, that she has overwhelming uh, political support in the city of Chicago. Uh, I don't happen to agree <laughs> with, uh, with, with the, that overwhelming majority, but that's fine. Uh, but that would indicate that she actually has a lot of room to maneuver here. I mean, she has a lot of political cover uh, to take risky stances uh, if she believes them to be morally correct. She has a lot of political capital to work with here, uh, and she is choosing not to do that. She's choosing uh, to put to play it uh, pretty safe and not like take a real moral leadership role in in, in uh, assessing whether or not it is indeed true that. Chicago putting 40% of its, nearly 40% of its budget towards the Chicago Police Department is a good use of resources for the vast majority of average Chicagoans. Uh, maybe, she, maybe she does believe that that's a good use of those resources. That, that would be another discussion. But if she doesn't, then uh, it would be incumbent on her to play a moral leadership role uh, and, and use some of that goodwill that she has generated in her time in office uh, to take a bold political stance. Instead, mm-hmm. she's chosen not to do that.
1: Well I'll I'll just take this opportunity to uh, pound my favorite drum on this moment uh, at the, on this particular issue at the very least I think it's inexcusable and indefensible for the city of Chicago to command its public schools to give up 33 million dollars from its budget and send it to the police department to play, pay for police if you want to make the case to finance the positioning of police in schools, then the police department should pick up the tab, not the public schools. Those police should not come at the expense of classroom teachers, nurses, doctors, social workers, phil- whatever, whatever the local school wants. This is the drum I pound relentlessly, Michael, on this particular issue, because this is the fundamental issue that the Board of Education is addressing, Are they going to spend the money for the police or are the police going to spend the money for the police? And in the situation that was set up last year by Mayor Lori Lightfoot and her Board of Education, it was the schools that paid the money. And I'm going to go, I'm not afraid to bang a drum for 30 years if I have to, Micah. But I will bang this drum because I just don't understand. I cannot see a defense under any circumstance to have the schools pay money to the police department. Which you can get the city, you can't find an alderman. Well, that's not true. You can't find more than 10 aldermen to sign on to defunding the police. They will vote. You will get a majority vote in the city council at the very least to fund the police. So make the aldermen pay for the police in the school. Do not make the school. You agree with me on that one, Micah?
2: Yeah, of course. And and your point about schools is true across the board for every, you know, in, military-grade tank that our police department has, that is X number of classroom teachers that we won't have. That's X amount of uh, mental health counselors that we don't have anymore. That is, you know, X percentage of a shuttered uh, public mental health clinic that was shut down several years ago in the city. I mean, the the money is taken from other public goods that we need in the city and given to, to guys with big guns and the ability to lock people up and... Really uh, throw away the key. And this is the case, of course, that young black activists have made in the city for a long time. This is the whole uh, basis of the No Cop Academy campaign, right? They all said we, we should not be spending the 90, $95 million to build a new police academy on the west side of Chicago. We already spend an incredible amount of resources on that academy. We should be instead using that money for these public goods that we need. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's not really... Uh, rocket science Uh, but unfortunately that is the the road that the mayor has gone down and and the road that is true of the cities and towns all over the country that have these enormously bloated uh police budgets uh and at the same time that they have to cut public schools and and mental health services and all the rest of it
1: and that that example you gave just illustrates the point i made i believe that in the case of the the city council vote for the funding, the police academy in the West side, I believe only one Alderman voted no. Uh, Ramirez Rose said was the only alderman, I believe, who voted no. Even after Chance the Rapper showed up to uh, protest it, the, the media was taking pictures, etc., And so forth, the aldermen were trying to get in photographs with Chance the Rapper. Uh, they still only won a uh, no. So that just proves the point I made that the city council, if you if if your position is that we should have police in every school, then make the city council pay for it. They will pay for it. Uh, you know, I got to tell you this story, uh, Mike, and then get your thoughts, your reaction. Because you're... Uh, your in- uh, telling of your encounter with Lori Lightfoot brought back a memory of, uh, a f- of a dear friend of mine, Sam Holloway, who had his own encounter with Mayor Rom, And it was a little different circumstances, and I'll do my best to summarize it as neatly as I can. Sam is a firefighter, and uh, there was a moment in Rahm's uh, early part of his first term where he was uh, pitching the notion that we the city of chicago had to cut pension benefits i'm not making this up uh this was when the democrats were really drinking from uh the uh the what is it neoliberal cup and ron was pouring in dosage <laughs> of that neoliberal wine so he would he would actually go to drop in on uh, fire stations and tell the fire always of course surrounded by guards uh to tell the firefighters uh I'm going to be pressing... You're going to have to take a pension cut. It's good for the city, and I'm just telling you the truth. And there's no alternative. And Sam Holloway, who is more left than you, okay? This firefighter who's to the left of you, Micah, dear friend of mine, said to Rom, actually... Uh, that's not the case. There is an alternative. You could slap a LaSalle Street tax on the borders of exchange, and you can make more than enough money to support our pensions without making us take the pension cut, to which Rom <laughs> told him, well, you could do that when you're elected mayor. And um, <laughs> that just sums up Rahm uh, to a T. But he did back off on those firehouse visits because once the story came out, The union said, hey, this is uh, illegal uh, bargaining. You know, you're intimidating our workers. The mayor shows up and tells them that. So when you hear that story and you hear about uh, Lori Lightfoot, what's your sense of a a comparison and contrast
2: to Mayor Rahm and Mayor Lightfoot? Well, that story is not that surprising about Rahm. But even Rahm seems to understand a little more about uh, you you can kind of go a long way by just uh, I don't know, occasional, occasional pleasantries to people. I mean, he's been in politics long enough. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a socialist. I like to talk about material conditions, but I do think there's some kind of psychological aspect to Merrill Lightfoot. I mean, she does seem to be really angry when people uh, challenge her. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it's because she just hasn't spent her career in the realm of public service, you know, or not public service, but in elected office. Uh, where you got people, you're disagreeing with you all the time, you know, yelling at you all the time. I mean, you just, you know that that's what comes with the territory and uh, she just doesn't seem to take any, uh, you know, she, she doesn't feel the need to, as I said before, mollify uh, constituents who might disagree with her on uh, anything. And, you know, you, you saw it in the CTU strike where uh, she really uh, pushed the union into the strike and really dragged it out and it was, was really driving a hard bargain on a lot of, uh, issues. Uh, you know, I remember at the end, you know, saying that the teachers were not going to get any uh, – re, re, not get recompensated for the strike, for example. Uh, that became a sticking point. So um, it's, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a bummer. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it shows that she's just uh, – she, she is there to do uh, what, whatever her agenda is, and she's, you know, dissent be damned.
1: What's your sense of where this uh, issue is going to go? Uh, do you think that uh, the, um, the protesters and their aldermanic supporters uh, can force the mayor to make some accommodations that she's resisting? Or do you think that she'll just uh, not move on this issue?
2: Well, before answering that question, I just would say that it's a very important development in the city that we now have, Uh, for example, half a dozen aldermen signing on to an op-ed published in the Sun-Times calling for a demand to defund the police. And as you mentioned before, Alderman Carlos Rosa was the only one who uh, really took a strong stand against the police academy. Remember, he paid the price for that. Uh, He was briefly even kicked out of the Latino caucus of the city council for, for taking that stand. Uh, so, it, it, and of course, you know, beyond the policing issue, I mean, in the recently uh, passed spate of uh, rules that gave Mayor Lightfoot increased power uh, over uh, some coronavirus funding, the city's response to coronavirus, uh, that was the closest vote that we've seen in the city in a, a long time. Uh, so there's clearly a, a growing appetite in the city for just dissent generally. Uh, as to the specific question of whether we're going to be convincing Lori Lightfoot to, uh, to defund the police, I mean, I, I don't think that that's a matter of sort of uh, convincing her to change her heart on this issue. It's a matter of social movements becoming powerful enough and being disruptive enough in the city uh, to actually, you know, force her hand. I mean, that's what's happened in New York, right? Like, that's. That's why De Blasio did a literal 180 on this question because the protests were so massive and and they were reaching such a point where uh, he felt like he had no choice. It's a longer uh, road to hoe for uh, accomplishing that with Mayor Light, but given the kind of uh, numbers that you mentioned that she has in terms of uh, uh, support, but I but I you know I'm someone who believes that uh, social change uh, happens uh, from the ground up, uh, not, not just through you know winning over the the hearts and minds of elected officials. So if if that's going to happen, it's going to be in the hands of the activists who have uh, you know played this spearheading role so far uh, in this movement you're young black people who have been organizing for years in city. Uh, the city the people the multi-multi-racial protests that have been happening in the streets that that is what's going to force change on this issue
1: all right let's uh take this opportunity since you raised these issues to make a pivot and apply some of these same themes uh that you're applying to chicago to the national level you wrote a book uh, bigger than bernie uh, which uh, essentially articulates every theme you're talking about uh, now you're looking at the democratic uh ticket when we don't know who the vp is uh, do you have a feeling that the same movement that is uh pushing de blasio to the left or back to where he was that's putting pressure on uh lori lightford here in chicago can have any impact with uh, biden on national issues
2: well, that is certainly the hope, but I can't say I've been particularly heartened by much of anything that Biden does. Well, first of all, what has Biden done? I mean, Biden is still kind of in his bunker. We, we barely ever hear from him. We haven't at all over the last couple of weeks. We haven't basically since the beginning of the pandemic. So uh, what Biden is thinking on any particular issue is largely a mystery for us. Uh, but, um, I mean, his whole political career has been one of uh, tacking to the center and even to the right. Uh, We have a staff writer for Jacobin, Bronco Marchantich, who wrote a book called Yesterday's Man, the kind of political biography of Biden. And that's clear from his entire career, including on questions of racial justice. I mean, uh, he, uh, in the early days of his career, liked to uh, tout his uh, kind of uh, racial uh, liberalism, but he was also, of course, as as Kamala Harris, Senator Kamala Harris brought up during the debates, uh, very much opposed to, busing, uh, really took a right-wing, oh, it, actually right-wing tack on that question. Uh, and that, that's been largely how he has approached many questions of, of social change. There, there was a, a story the other day that showed that uh, in some of the policy debates that are being hashed out right now with people from the Bernie Sanders campaign, uh, Biden won't even agree still to legalizing marijuana. I mean, this is crazy. I, I, I almost forgot that he had that stance. I was thinking about it today as I went to the dispensary. I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> Joe Biden wants to uh, outlaw this act that I am uh, buying my my gummies right now." You don't want me to have my edible?
1: Well, no, I, <laughs> so uh, I, yeah. I, I, well, I, I should let you. I don't think he's going to outlaw uh, estates, states, uh, but w- w- he's not going to uh, support federal legalization, which is a whole other fight. But go ahead. I just wanted to make that distinction. Go ahead. Continue. No,
2: yes, right. that, that's clear. What I mean is that he's not a champion of this by any. To the imagination. He is not one who is at the forefront of, of pushing. I mean, what is he going to be at the forefront of? It's, it's very unclear to me. So I have to say that I don't have a whole lot of hope uh, for a Biden presidency just uh, from Biden himself, given everything that's happened over the last couple months. Uh, but I do have hope that, let me put it this way, Biden will only be as good as movements like the ones that are in the streets right now are going to push him to be.
1: Uh, I agree with you 100% on that one. Uh, but uh, having said that, I always feel compelled uh, to say that I will vote for Joe Biden. I, will, I eagerly await my opportunity to vote for Joe Biden. And admitting that and saying that shows it's like a, a one hand. It's an act of defiance against Donald Trump, who I uh, think is the absolute worst public official. If I could even I don't even want to call him a public official of of elected official of my lifetime, uh, but then I still feel the frustration that this is. My cho- <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike, that this is my choice. I think of Biden. Like this is this is it. Okay, guys, all right. I actually, I get your thoughts on this. I'm um, here. We go. I think Joe Biden is better prepared to be President of the United States. And move to the left. When I say move to the I think he would probably be more willing uh, to move to the left than Hillary Clinton, who was the nominee in 2016. So I'm going to make the argument that lefties like me are in a better position with Joe Biden in the White House than Hillary Clinton. Your thoughts on that argument?
2: I suppose that's true. I mean, the, the, good, the good thing about Biden being such a weather vane is that he can move when the winds change, and uh, I think that's less true of Hillary Clinton, but I can't say I'm particularly excited about either of those yeah. choices. I mean, uh, of course I want to see Donald Trump lose, but also, for what, over half a century, longer? Uh, we've just been stuck with these people. And it, it, what's so crushing to me, and many other people, especially young people, not only young people, is that the Bernie Sanders campaign represented a, a, an actual like, a political alternative in this country, the likes of which we had never seen since Jesse Jackson. Uh, and so having that kind of dangled in front of us, like, oh, you could actually have a, a politics that was not about doing the least harm, but actually doing some good uh, is, is kind of uh, crushing. But... Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I have higher hopes for for a Biden than I have for a Clinton. I I will say that uh, everyone, at least over the last few weeks, seems to be saying that uh, oh well, you know, Biden's got this in the bag. He's he, certainly the election were held today, he would probably win. Uh, but I am not so sure about that. I'm a little worried because the the campaigning has not really started in earnest yet. I mean the kind of mud that uh, Trump is capable of flinging against Biden. We haven't really seen, uh, we haven't seen anything uh, yet on that front. So I am not like some of my uh, both left and liberal friends, uh, you know, resting comfortably thinking that uh, Biden has an easy path to victory in November. Uh, I'm a little worried, but uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be praying.
1: Well, well, I'll say this about what you said. I don't think the conventional tactics that Republicans have resorted to will be as applicable to this election. So you're absolutely correct. Uh, There will be a lot of mud thrown at Biden, and that's what Republicans do. Right now I'm watching the Lincoln Project, which is this group of renegade Republicans who, for whatever reason, despise Donald Trump, mounting classic Republican-style Attack ads against Donald Trump, like they got. I don't know if you watch these things, Mike. It's a little like uh, uh, anti-Trump porn for the people who really hate Trump, and so I watch them all the time. The last one, the, the the fellow travelers one, which is out and out red baiting, but against Donald Trump. Have you seen the one? This one, where well, that's where they have a man speaking in Russian, and they show images of Putin, they show images of uh, Lenin, Stalin, you know, and it's like they're all together endorsing Donald Trump. I'm like, my God, this is something Nixon would have come up with against George McGovern. And so I just, I'm not quite sure that those, you know what I mean? The old attack ads, he's trying to do it right now by saying that Biden is a leftist and he wants to destroy our past. I don't know if it'll work because really Trump is the issue. So I'm not quite, I'm not sure I, as paranoid as I can get, if I'm buying the paranoia that you're feeling, you follow that?
2: Yeah. I mean, what did he do in the last go round? Right. He, basically just muddied the waters enough about Hillary Clinton and like raised a general aura about Clinton that, that she's corrupt or whatever. He, he just raised, he, he muddied the waters enough to get a huge number of people, not who, were, who decided to vote for him, but who were just so disgusted with everything they were seeing in politics that they just thought, oh, I'm going to stay home. And we had huge numbers of voters staying home, which opened the, door to uh, Trump winning on the, on the back of his kind of rabid fan base. So I'm, I just worry about that happening this time around. Not that uh, he'll be able to make a sort of coherent and rational and logical case to people why he's a better candidate than Biden, but that he'll be able to just put enough of a, uh, of a sense of doubt in their minds uh, that, that Biden, for, for whatever reason, uh shouldn't be the president isn't capable of it uh you know they'll probably argue that uh, his mental faculties aren't all there i mean whatever he'll say he'll you know the guy will say anything uh and he'll he'll throw all that out there and and maybe uh just get people disgusted enough that he can cruise to victory again i i'm hoping that doesn't happen but i don't think that we should ignore that possibility all right
1: that's a fair enough warning uh, Mike, I'm going to close with this question to you, which I just thought of based on something you said. Total curveball. Uh, I'm wondering how you're going to handle it. So I'm going here we go. I'm going to set it up. Uh, in my lifetime, there used to be a, a term for people who voted Democratic, uh, and they were called liberals. And at some point, liberal became a bad word, mainly because the Republicans so successfully, with the kind of tactics you were talking about, mocked it and maligned it. And even liberals didn't want to be called liberals anymore. And therefore emerged a new word, progressive. And now everybody's a progressive. And now I'm getting a sense that, like, the real progressives don't like the word progressive anymore because they see people who aren't progressive calling themselves progressives. I'm feeling, you know what, progressive's going to fall out of style. So what will the new new word be? If we can't call them liberals, by the way, you know, there's they I don't know anybody who calls them a liberal. And you're not going to call them progressive, what will the new term be for people of the democratic persuasion?
2: Well, I don't know what the term will be, but hey, I'm a democratic socialist. I think people should come over here. The water's the water's nice over here. You know, just just <laughs> jump right into socialism. Just let's just go to socialist. Let's skip Let's skip the middleman and go right to socialism, baby. That's the good stuff. All right, very yeah,
1: good. That's pretty good.
0: And Mike, I gotta ask. I didn't hear it come up during the interview, uh, so it's a no on Kanye. <laughs> I
2: haven't seen what's his platform. I'm not sure yet. He's on the. <laughs> I mean, okay. Listen, I will. I will vote for Kanye if he promise if he disavows his last what three or four albums and he promises <laughs> to go back to the to the good you know the, the the golden years of kanye uh you know uh college graduate uh college dropout uh you know uh beautiful dark twisted fantasy if we can get back to the the good kanye then I, then maybe we could talk about getting my vote all
1: right so he's not in the birthday party yet uh but that's the name of kanye's party the birthday party uh all right very good micah thank you so much uh for coming on with us and uh keep up the good work all right
2: Always a pleasure. Thanks, Ben. Thanks,
1: Dennis. All right, Micah. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everyone. That's how
0: you bowl.